If you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to Hebrews chapter 9. That is Hebrews chapter 9. A few weeks ago, I was speaking with a friend of mine who goes to the church here, and she was speaking about when she first came to Faith Church. And she wasn't as accustomed to some of the language we use in our preaching and in our singing, and she was put off by one particular aspect. She said, there was so much talk about blood. She didn't understand such a violent Christianity we were talking about here. Our celebration of blood being poured out, shed, and sprinkled. And if you think about it, for some of us who've been in the church for a while, we probably don't notice that, but in what other social setting would it be appropriate to celebrate the pouring out of blood? And yet, the shedding of blood is central to our Christian faith, isn't it? It's central to the climactic event of the Gospels and of our lives, and it's central to Good Friday. And so, for just a few minutes this evening, I would like for us to reflect on the precious blood of Jesus using Hebrews 9, 11 to 14 as a launching pad. We're just going to make three observations during this reflection. Here's the first. The penalty for sin is shed blood. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 9 and read verses 11 and 12. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The author of Hebrews tells us that what Jesus accomplished was done by means of his blood. But why? Why this violent event? Well, we need to back up a little bit and first observe that the penalty for sin is death. This is a foundational truth we see throughout all of Scripture. In fact, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, remember God's initial instructions to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he gives them remarkable permission and freedom. He says, you can enjoy the fruit of every tree in the garden. And then he gives one prohibition. He says, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will surely die. And there God establishes a very important truth for us as we begin this reflection, which is to be in right relationship with God brings life. And to disobey God, to defy God, forfeits life and brings death. Death is the proper penalty for sin. Now, it sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? But it isn't when we consider the character of God, God's holiness, His moral perfection, and His justice. Actually, the punishment fits the crime. Death is the right penalty for sin. Psalm 135.20 says, "...the Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy." If you were here as Pastor Mike preached through the book of Jeremiah, you heard over and over again the prophet Jeremiah saying that with repentance, with the right relationship, the righteous will have life. They'll have restoration. They have hope. 
But with continued sin will bring judgment. It will bring the wrath of God. And maybe Paul says it most clearly in Romans 6.23. He says, for the wages of sin is So death is the proper penalty for sin. And of course, shed blood pictures death. I'm not saying anything too profound there, right? We all know blood runs through our veins. Enough of it leaves our body and we die. And yet the Bible uses that language a little more intensely, a little more specifically. It pushes that metaphor further. Notice a few texts that show us this. In Leviticus 17, God prohibits the Israelites from eating blood, which is already a gross idea, right? But it, it has a point, there's a purpose behind it. He says in Leviticus 17, 14, for the life of every creature is its blood, its blood is its life. So God said, don't eat blood. And one of the reasons why is because blood is associated with life. And therefore, the removal of blood is associated with death. God is giving language for the Israelites to understand blood. That Leviticus 17 text is a quote from Genesis 9 in which God also prohibits murder. And notice the language he uses. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And in that verse, saying, do not kill. That's what shed blood means. It means to kill. And if you do, then you'll need to die. The penalty for shedding blood is having your blood shed. And so across the Bible, you see shed blood as an image for death, as the right penalty for sin. And if we pause here for a moment, this creates a problem for us. Because you and I sin. Which means we deserve to have our blood shed. I recognize that is a dark thought. And yet, it is essential, if we're going to appreciate the weight of the cost of what was accomplished in Good Friday, to consider the weight of our sin. We don't normally sit in that tension. Normally, if we're preaching right now, we run straight to the gospel. But I want you to pause first and just take a moment to consider the severity of your sin. Where should you be? Where should I be because of my sin? I deserve the penalty. I deserve for my blood to be shed. Let's move to a second point, which is that the payment for sin is shed blood. And you'll notice in that point, really only one word changed. Right? The penalty for sin was that blood would be shed, but God created a beautiful system by which a payment could be made to satisfy that penalty. And it's the same kind of payment. It's shed blood. Let's go back to Hebrews 9, and let's read verse 13. The author of Hebrews continues, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Here we see blood as an atonement for sin. The author of Hebrews is referencing the Old Covenant, the Old Testament sacrificial system in which blood of animals could be used as an atonement. 
So back in that Leviticus 17 text, if we go back to that, verse 14 says, For the life of every creature is its blood, its blood is its life. He says, And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for sins. God says, don't consume blood because blood's associated with life, but also blood plays a particular function in the community, which is that it can provide a covering, an atonement. It can be a payment by which your sins are forgiven. This is a remarkable system given by God, isn't it? That he built into the community He weaved into the fabric of Israeli society this understanding that blood could be submitted as a substitution by which they could receive cleansing. We see this in Leviticus 16. Let me just read you two verses that sort of summarize how this operated. It says in Leviticus 16, 15, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. The Israelite would sin. They would bring this bull or this goat or a lamb. They'd be able to slaughter this animal, sprinkle its blood on the altar, And the Israelite whose sinner's blood should be shed is replaced by the blood of this lamb. And in doing so, he could remain alive. He would not incur the judgment he deserves. It was a payment, an atonement. And yet, animal sacrifices were insufficient. Animal sacrifices were not enough. In fact, the author of Hebrews makes this really clear So if you're in chapter 9 right now, turn over to chapter 10, and we're going to read the first four verses. The author of Hebrews will make it really clear why these sacrifices weren't enough. It says in verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is clear that this blood of these animals was not enough. And it's proven by the repeated need to keep giving the sacrifices. In fact, the author says they actually have an opposite effect. They didn't fully remove sin. They were a reminder to the sinner that you keep sinning. It showed the sinner that he needed to keep getting atonement, which means the entire sacrificial system was like a big arrow pointing to something better, saying we need a permanent sacrifice. We need a payment that will actually satisfy the penalty. We need better blood. And before we move on, I would remind us that there is no payment we can make in this life that will meet the penalty. The sacrifices were not enough. And if we took all the money and assets we had and tried to pay God to satisfy that payment, that's not going to work. 
And if we take all of our moral behavior and our generosity and our good parenting and, and all the kind things we do, and we put them on the scale and, and maybe they'll weigh out and God will welcome us in. But no, it doesn't work that way, does it? We are far too sinful for that. And God's standard is far too holy. It's perfection. We are not just our sinful, willful choices. We have a sinful nature. In our very nature, we are in opposition to God. If you come to Good Friday today and you've been depending upon your own efforts to stand before God, repent of that today because Good Friday is a reminder to you that you couldn't make the payment. It's a reminder to you that you deserve the penalty that you should be, that I should be on the cross. Our only hope, every person's only hope, is our third point that Jesus paid it all with his precious blood. Let's go back to Hebrews 9. We're going to back up to verse 13 and read 13 and 14. He says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He says, listen, if the blood of animals could temporarily cleanse you, then what will the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, God incarnate, who lived a sinless life and died in your place, how much more will that sacrifice cleanse you completely? Jesus' precious blood was shed for us as the payment to meet the penalty. Every slain bull or goat pointed to Christ, the spotless lamb. His precious blood shed for us. Earlier in the service, you heard the crucifixion account read. A narrative which intentionally depicts the shedding of that blood. Consider Christ. As the story opens, he is scourged. The story begins with blood streaming down the back of our Savior. And when Jesus reaches this cross, they place a crown of thorns on his head so that blood pours down his brow on the face of our Lord. They then put nails in his hands and his feet, and when his side is pierced, it flows water and blood. Jesus Christ's blood literally shed for you on the altar of the cross to replace you as a substitute, to atone for your and my sin. That is what we remember on Good Friday. And Jesus paid it all. See, we're in Hebrews 9 today, and this is what the author of Hebrews is really focusing on. He is showing the superiority of Jesus to everything else, including the Old Covenant. And notice what he says in chapter 10, verse 12. He says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We don't have to slaughter an animal year after year. We don't have to keep trying to find a payment. We don't have to work and strive and strain to meet this penalty that we deserve every day because Jesus died once. And he said, it is finished, and he sat down because it's done. Amen?
in a few minutes, we are going to celebrate that death through remembering, observing the Lord's table. We'll look at the Matthew account, which Jesus calls it the blood of his covenant. But in the next minute, I'd like to read for you a few verses that apply the blood of Christ to your salvation. So in the quiet of your own seat right now, begin reflecting. Begin remembering. Begin considering what Jesus did for you and let these verses wash over you. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He brings us near. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him? From the wrath of God, he justifies us, declares us righteous. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He redeems us. Hebrews 13.12, So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He cleanses us. And finally, 1 John 1.7, but if we light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin.